but yeah, you want well, it? Well, I think I think you still you probably still look good. So That's I look good. like crap. Why? <laughs> Did you do I something too, just man. normally really sort of hasty this morning with your uh, appearance? Um, no, just the usual. Put the hat on. <laughs> the usual, Phil. <laughs> I just I just put my hat on and I'm ready ready for the morning. Wow. That's that's tough. <laughs> well, I got to get the kids to preschool and whatnot. So yeah, yeah. Um, well, I generally shower before I do that. Well, uh, yeah. Normal I people shower. In the that's why I shaved. I actually shaved my head. That's my news. You did I did shaved my hair off? What I did all of it. You have super thick, awesome hair. Why would you shave it? I'm because I'm because I uh, got I'm sick of bedhead, man. Sick of it. Yeah. No, I'm. I just it's hot. It got hot, and I'm it's sick not of hot. dealing with Oregon. it. You don't I know, know what hot is. I know. I have <laughs> no room to complain. But you know, I look at my son. He's six, and we he buzzes his hair, and I just get find myself getting jealous. All all huh. kinds of jealous. So I uh, I I went into the uh, my local uh, Great Clips and I and you know there there's always there's no I've always... seen the sign it's a it's a six dollar special for the shaving of yeah. the head yeah so it, there are always w- women <laughs> in Great Clips and I have a great relationship with all of the women in Great Clips they've they've all cut my hair but this one day apparently they were busy and short staffed so they started shipping in other stylists from other stores and Who screwed uh, up as it happened there was a dude there. With a shaved head, cutting hair, oh. and I happened to get him. And I had been thinking about doing this for a long time, oh, doing boy. something bold. And I said, uh, you know, I think I want your haircut. He said, okay. And then I was done. And I love it. I love it. Of course, then I realized, why am I paying anything to have somebody shave my head? So I went over to the uh, you know local uh, Target, and I bought myself some shears. and uh, And I shaved my own head a week later. Wow. This was last week. So I just shaved my own head. It worked. I shaved my own head. Who knew? So I'm taking that's, that, that. That's army crazy. It is army crazy. I love it. When I, yeah, when I was a kid, that was the summer thing. And I hated it. I never, I have bad memories of the head shaving because I always felt very self-conscious about it. Kind of like a dog does when you, you can kind of tell the dog's a little ashamed when they get shaved. Yeah. You ever notice that? Yeah, no, I noticed that. Um, But my dad would do he he had a <laughs> when i was about my oldest son's age 9 i remember my dad had a a shaved head and a full beard which mm. i think is a pretty cool look that's kind of a hipster look i it's, guess it but. is it's a kind of a portland look <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, so, it's um, it's either that or or you know completely wet shaved bald you know cuz i still have you know hair it's just you know buzz cut short that's funny but but yeah if you wet shave and sport a full beard that's that's hipster portland Pretty cool. Well, so I, I'm not I'm not heading there. So I was telling you, I got a I got this new I uh, got a new rig. I'm testing a new rig. Yeah, let's hear about it. Summer travels. Well, you know, Apple had their new uh, announcements. Can't believe we haven't talked about any of this. Stuff. I, I I know, and I didn't even pay that much attention. I mean, we 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 did talk a little bit about the MacBooks, and I saw a story. Yeah, we yeah. talked about the Retina displays. Yeah. Yeah, and and I saw somebody had taken on the challenge of getting the most expensive new MacBook possible, and how much would they possibly spend? And it was like they ended up close to nine grand, but this included peripherals and an, an additional screen, and you know, that's not even drives. that's not even like a thought experiment anymore. It's just obscenity, you know. I mean, it's like there's no rational reason. I I can't find it. There's no real rational reason to to price something out like that. And I think even Apple would would note that's you know great for the one person in our market that would actually spend that kind of money on that machine but that's not really which and what what I think is most interesting about it if you price out take the new retina display uh, macbook pro if you price it out it, with the equivalent specs like you know on the venn diagram where the retina display and the old school 15 inch macbook pro crossover and you spec it out exactly the same there are some things you can't do, obviously, on the on the old MacBook Pro, and some things you can't do anymore on the Retina display. So, if you price out all the stuff that you can get exactly the same, uh, the Retina display MacBook Pro ends up cheaper than the old school MacBook Pro. 
which I find really interesting. Like it, cool. it is, it turns out um, that the display is not the most, ex- um, you know, expensive sort of component. I think that's pretty common knowledge. It's the, it's the flash, the big, you know, the, the big memory flash drive, you know, when you, when you up, get that up there into that 768 gigs of flash storage, that's, that ends up being a spendy proposition. Uh, so it makes it super fast, right? Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's ridiculously fast. I, I mean, I, I so cool. put, so I had put a, a 480 gig, uh, SSD, old school SSD, you know, now, um, in my older MacBook pro and, and it was like a brand new machine. I mean, it was unreal how fast it was. Uh, and that, that was even on the slow end of MacBook or, or of, of SSD performance. And, you know, since then the technology has gotten much faster and, and, um, uh, it's, it's amazing. So you are, I mean, you're cutting just a little bit. What is this new rig you're, you're speaking on? Well, and I don't, uh, yeah, that's a little frustrating. So I'm, what I'm doing is, uh, I, I went out to, I, I'm got tired of actually carrying around the big 15.4 inch MacBook pro. And so I knew I've been, I, you know, I've been planning on selling it. For the longest time, and uh, and replacing it with something smaller, and so when the announcement came out that um, they were uh, that Apple was you know had revved everything, I got very excited about the MacBook Air. Yeah, uh, and so that's what I got. I, I cool. got the eleven point six inch MacBook Air. So I went. Mm-hmm. I, I took a significant size um, uh, hit on size, and I love it. I it is it it. A friend of mine was over, and she, she we were talking about how, you know, how just how slick it is, and uh, and she, she said, uh, you know, it reminds me of the twelve inch MacBook Pro or MacBook uh, Pro, the titanium MacBook Pro back in the day. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, it was that was my favorite computer I had ever used, like this, which now by comparison seems like an absolute tank. Uh, but this this is what it feels like. I mean, it's like that that size, that form factor, just kind of folding it up and kind of putting it in your pocket almost. You know, it's a it, it feels great, but it doesn't have a you know the, the the sacrifice you make on size. It obviously doesn't have an Ethernet port, and so I'm I'm on Wi-Fi, which I usually really recommend against for podcasting. It's a terrible way to fly. But I'm also about to leave uh, for for you know two and a half weeks on a summer vacation. We'll be working from the lake. And, um, so I, I need to test it. So I wanted to make sure it works. So there's no way to get ethernet. On... Oh, there, there is, there's a thunderbolt to gigabit ethernet, ethernet, uh, adapter, which is fantastic, uh, because it gives you, you know, an adapter that actually gives you gigabit ethernet, but, uh, I won't have access to ethernet at all, um, from the lake. It's, you know, strictly Wi-Fi. So... Um, you know, I just wanted to see how this how this works. And um, like, like Chapacuaca, like Chapaquitic. No, Chapa- <laughs> it's not. It's neither of those places. Uh, Lake Chautauqua. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, I, I I'll never probably remember that. No, it's good. That, that yeah, I know. It's you don't have to remember that. Chapaquitic. I don't. I don't really care if you remember that. So it's uh, so anyway. I'm loving it. It's the uh, two gigahertz. Um, Core i7, so it's the the Ooh. faster of the, of the and and it's it's really, I mean it's unreal how much power is in this little tiny sliver of a That's nothing. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, do, do you need even need an iPad now that you have that? Well, you know, I mean, I still do a lot on the iPad, but you know, what I do that I can't do on the iPad is stuff that I don't know how I would ever be able to do on the iPad. It's like, you know, sound soap and noise filtering and Logic Pro production and, uh, you, you know, uh, Lightroom and sound you know, I, soap. I want to look that up. It's, it's one of those, it, it's one of those things that, you know, where the iPad really excels and is just wonderful. There are, just sort of because of the business that I do. I even downloaded, you know, Coda and Diet Coda um, from Panic Software, whether it's their their coding tools. And I and it Coda 2 is unreal. And Diet Coda on the iPad is great. It just I I'm just not that good uh at at thinking about code on the iPad. That 
stresses me out. I'm just not there. And with a keyboard, I'm, I'm much more there. So um, it, it does make you think at first, gosh, the size is so similar, like really so similar between these two devices, the iPad and the 11-inch um, MacBook Air, that you'd think, well, surely you don't need the iPad. But really, the, just because the size is the same, the function is very different. So. Well, you got the best of all worlds. You 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 got no room for complaints over there. Of course I do. You what, got a shaved you head. No, of course I you have. Live room in for Portland. Me. I could complain all day long, and I'm going to start right now. Number one, <laughs> they've changed the stupid MagSafe adapter, and now you Uh-oh. you can't like it's now the MagSafe two, and it's all thin and shiny and aluminum and awesome, but it doesn't work with any of the old adapters, and so you have to get oh, this really? ten dollar little tiny uh, <laughs> converter to use your MagSafe adapter with your now MagSafe 2 port on your MacBook Air. And that's a stupid, stupid thing. Because we have adapters everywhere. They're like in every plug. And now I have to carry around this $10. It's just dumb. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. And then, no, there's more. Uh, I love the screen. The screen is gorgeous. But uh, you know, I can see the benefit of having a retina display on this computer in particular. Uh, so I think the next generation or the generation after that, whenever they roll the retina display down into this, uh, into the MacBook Air, that is an immediate upgrade for me. Like, I, I feel like this is a, a form factor for a travel computer that I can't imagine. Like, I just, I'm, I'm home. Uh, but boy, as the second the retina display hits, this one's out the door. I'm getting a new one. So... That's it. That's my story. You think, never satisfied. you think I can't complain? It's never complain? enough for you. No. No. This is, this is the first world, baby. I can complain <laughs> about all sorts of stuff that matters little to the rest I, uh, of the I, world. A friend of mine who's a very, uh, he meditates a lot, does lots of yoga, very, lives a very, very simple life. He sent me an article uh, um, with these, <laughs> these journalists who were just so proud that they were still using their like 10 year old max and it someone had written this article i guess about how the mac is uh such a such a great machine for owning for years and years and years but they had these things they had had to do to make it still functional like stripping all kinds of things off of it and you know um, but they pretty much used it for typing articles and i thought (laughs) that's pretty much the opposite of, of pete's approach <laughs> I mean, you know, some people just really pride themselves in taking, you know, taking something beyond reason, like having a computer far longer, like driving a car into the ground, you know? I mean, you just, right. at some point, you just, the principle is the only thing you're clinging to there because it's time to upgrade. You get, you, you keep yourself right ahead of that curve. And, and I don't think there's, uh, there's, even bad economics at play with that one. I think you, you, you know, you got to get that rhythm, right? You gotta, well, no, you that's sell really while important. It's still worth something and buy it while it's hot. It's like this. It's like Portland. The whole city of Portland, you know, is designed from an urban planning perspective for pedestrians, not for cars. Right. So all the blocks are a little bit shorter than a normal city block. And that- or, or by comparison to Salt Lake, which was designed for, uh, what what do they say it's it's so you can do a u-turn with your uh with a horse and buggy in your wagon yeah, or whatever yeah exactly it's that's huge. the same thing it's i grew up in colors all the streets friendly all the streets are giant like it takes five minutes to actually cross a street because it's it's like a football field yeah um and it's all for the like four four horse and cart exactly kind of mentality so uh, but Portland, the, the streets, if you start at the south end at the top of the hill and of downtown and start walking down at a at a normal pace uh, and you you get that rhythm right, you will never hit a red light, right? You you are the priority and you'll you'll be able to walk all the way down to the river without hitting a, a red light. It's I didn't know that. It's really That's awesome. cool. It's really and you may even be able to work in a break to take a, a sip from our one of our beautiful Benson bundlers. <laughs> Please come come to Portland. So uh, now the it's it's like that with technology buying. That's my theory. No, right? uh, is it really? Yeah. You, if you start at the top of the hill and you you buy your tech, and uh, then did you just barely think of this one? Just a second, yeah. No, this is. I'm just kind of on the fly. I'm thinking of it as the words come out of my mouth. 
then uh okay. and then and you say and you up. sell it when there is still value in it uh-huh. especially when you're in a brand that tends to hold value uh then you can weather just about all of the um all of the kind of uh upgrade storms uh and stay ahead of the and stay ahead of the lights uh every single year or 18 months and get yourself you know new gear uh and the investment the overall investment ends up being you know just sort of a um you know, it's a, it's kind of a consistent bleed, <laughs> rather than uh, <laughs> rather than just having it. It's I, like paying a tax. It's like paying a tax. It's exactly what it is. It's more like a lease. It's a it's a lease from yourself. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. And so, you know, I sold the the MacBook Pro. I I had for way longer than I normally would. Like that was a, a machine I kept probably too long, and I didn't get as much out of it as I as I would have liked to have done. Um, but I can, you know, I can already tell the, at the rate they're sort of upgrading these MacBook Airs. I mean, they were just released the next day I got one. And as soon as I feel like the next, uh, the next bump is coming, I'm ready to sell it. It's on Craigslist and I'm starting to talk to people about it. And, and, you know, same thing with the iPhones, the iPads, get them, lock in those, lock in those resale deals. And you're, you're always, you're always in new gear and it doesn't end up costing that much. That's a terrible way to live. There you go. It's a terrible way to live, but I love it. That's my vice. It's my only vice. You got to have something to live for. Besides the, yeah, no, that's it. <laughs> I mean, something's got to, something's got to make life interesting. <laughs> so you were telling me about a new book that I, did you just read this book or what is this I, book? Oh, you know, I, I just, I, I think this is a, a uh, this is just a funny neuromarketing uh, piece. It was a, a review of this, uh, of, of a book I thought was funny on, on, um, the uh, neurosciencemarketing.com blog. It's uh, the post is um, called "We All Lie and Cheat, But Not Much." The the it's a review of the book, "The Honest Truth About Dishonesty: How We Lie to Everyone, Especially Ourselves." And uh, this is a uh, Dan Ariely, uh, who who uh, is a a regular neuroscience uh, writer, is a fascinating guy. Um, and and is and and wrote this book about uh, how we think about what is okay to steal. So uh, let me just read this this passage. The majority of the work described in the book was done with Ariely's supervision or participation, and as we have come to expect, his experiments are often delightfully simple yet still revealing. One such test involved leaving either cans of Coca Cola or a plate with an equal number of dollar bills in dorm refrigerators at MIT. Unsurprisingly. The soft drinks quickly vanished, but despite the presence of an adjacent vending machine that would have converted the dollar bills into the same cans of Coke, the money remained untouched. Ariely thinks we are conditioned to believe that stealing money is wrong, and most of us won't do it. An item that isn't actually money, like the disappearing colas, are a different story. Similarly, many people might might not think twice about taking a ream of paper home from the office, but would never take a few dollars from the petty cash box. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) yeah, Um, I mean, I I wonder, that seems, uh, I'm glad that there is now, that that he did some research to shore that up. And yet it seems so obvious to me that. Yeah, I was going to say, it's right. It's one of those, it's one of those things that, it's not new information. It's just, it's now verified in in some scientific way, I guess. I mean, it seems like, and we can, and you can sort of run through the reasons, um, I guess, like anecdotally that you think things like that happen in society. I think part of it is, um, and, and and when you use, you know, the example of like cash on the table or whatever, I think my first assumption is, you know, the thought that people tend to have in a social environment of what sort of a, an emotional uh, impact that theft would have. So if I steal $5 in cash, I mean, it says something about me that that was such a um, such an obvious, immoral, unethical thing to do, but it also probably made you feel very violated and now you don't trust me. And, and now, you know, like our whole relationship is damaged. But if I, uh, but if I take copyrighted work 
um, that has a an equal value, there isn't the same immediate social impact on my relationships. So that's, I think, part of where, you know, people start to justify things. Um, and it's all about justification, I guess. Rationalization, and, exactly. And the, the, I guess, your ability to be close to the impact of that on other people. If you can feel really removed from that, then, um, then you can justify it more easily, I guess. Well, that's, that's it. I, so, uh, let's see. There, there is a, I think there's a, there's sort of a positive kind of reinforcement that comes with when applying this same logic to intellectual property theft, which is, um, because I think many people, many people who I, I, and I don't know, I mean, I haven't, I haven't read this part of any research to support this, you know, particular wild haired idea. But, you know, if you're some, say you're someone who doesn't steal cola, right? You don't, you don't go steal a soda or the thing, but then Game of Thrones comes out and you're really mad because you want to watch Game of Thrones, but you don't get HBO. <laughs> I don't know anyone like that. <laughs> and, and you realize, uh, in that, as in that great oatmeal uh, comic we've talked about before, that tap, 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 it's really a easy to find Game of Thrones because somebody has, you know, feeling just like you, dutifully reposted it, um, you know, uh, onto the uh, internet, onto the, you know, file sharing sites, um, that you can go and click and download it and find it really easily. It's not, not hard to do. The, the response ends up being that you, you feel sort of good about taking that content because you feel like you, you would have gladly sending... paid for it had they made it convenient for you. Yes, yes. You would have gladly paid for it had they made it. And, and in fact, you probably uh, actually purchased uh, season one uh, yourself on iTunes when it came out. And then you got into it and addicted to it. And now you're just mad and you want to, quote, send a message. And so I think that's that that ends up being um, kind of that 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 reinforcement mechanism where uh, you feel like you're, um, you know, you're going all V for vendetta uh, on uh, on these things. You're putting on your your mask and, you know, and, and you're um, you know, you're you are an advocate now for those who just want to be able to pay for content. <laughs> I have a friend, by the way, who's who uh, he he's he's he actively uh, downloads music that he otherwise should be paying for, and I don't know how he gets it, but um, whatever, some pirate bay ish site. But what he his justification is that if he likes the music he's listening to, he goes out of his way to see them live when they come to town. And if he really likes them, he'll buy their merchandise. And he feels that they get that money, uh, a higher percentage of that money, and the band is better off than if he just bought their album. Uh, but see, say iTunes. That's, the, that's the same kind of weird rationalization, right? That, mm -hmm. that you feel like you're sending a message be, that you know, the, the industry, the record industry needs to know this, get, needs to hear this message. So you're going to, you know, withhold your, um, you know, you're going to withhold your uh, pot potential revenue for them um, by taking the music. Oh, and in, no, you're cutting out right now. Well, I can still hear myself, though. Okay. And, okay. That's all right. Got it. So uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, you don't. You don't really matter as much right here. Okay. Um, I'll so, pretend I hear everything. Well, that's it. As long as I still make any some sense, <laughs> we'll see if you respond to the, the question I'm going to ask. Fine. That's good. So, uh, you know, you're withholding your potential revenue for the industry by making sure that the band in, in your construct, that the band is getting all this money. That's your rationalization. Right. And But don't you feel, I, I mean, in some way, the recording industry, when it was like Hillary Rosen led the RIIA, fueled a little bit of that sentiment with uh, at least with a younger audience that they created i mean they were they were they weren't wrong in trying to defend the, you know the the uh musicians who created the music but they created a strategy that seemed very much like the lawyers were running things and music was 
they made the music industry look like a big business when it really should look like a collection of artists. Yes. No, I think that's absolutely right. I think they they uh, that it, that the recording industry ended up uh you know appearing to be a cabal of attorneys and no right. one else making really strategic and technical decisions uh, about how to proceed in in this era of bids that they didn't they clearly did not understand. And yeah, once they no, did it, appear it, it, to it, understand it, you know, to me that that was just a very um I mean, honestly, kind of a sad yeah. um, uh, example of, you know, because I think in all industries and, and companies, there's there's a balance generally between, say, the, the PR department and the legal department. Um, you know, I mean, at, at some point... But in this you case, you're talking, I mean, you just neither you are constantly trying to protect your brand to protect your company and protect your interests and protect your employees and and all that but you have to balance that with looking like a friendly comfortable happy you know whatever uh, um and i and i just yeah i think with uh when napster happened and and i think caught a, a uh uh not a very nimble industry uh off guard they took this very extreme approach that seemed like it didn't have the proper input from from PR folks who might say hey guys let's uh okay we're, we're gonna <laughs> we want to protect um uh well what they what what it appeared I think and this is where I think things really fell apart for them and and set up some you know I think like dilemmas on a grander scale that the, the kind of dilemma you're talking about set it up on a grander scale than we've I think seen in a long time, um, but they they were protecting a business model more so than they were protecting the artists that they represented. What's interesting about what you just said is that it assumes that the audience uh, for music has any interest in hearing from attorneys or PR people at all, and and I think that's really the problem. That's what allows people to get away with the rationalization because you feel like if you're hearing from attorneys or PR people, you're hearing from quote the man, yeah, and that's who you're rallying against. That's the whole reason you put on the uh, the the mask and start downloading. But when you see the public face uh, that is the artist, the independent artist who's just trying to you know make ends meet, like that you know that plucky startup U two, uh, you know. Well, it's probably not the, not a great example, uh, but but you you are more interested <laughs> no, I, in doing it. Apparently, Metallica still gets uh, they still have a hard time. Yeah, with well, their fans, they they created, you know, they they uh, they took on that whole Napster thing when Napster was a very popular thing, and uh, and they just somehow got sucked up into that that same sort of perception, you know, that they were, they became sort of a corporate band. And, and I don't think they were really ever wrong, you know, to say, Hey guys, this is the way it works. We make music and you pay for it and, and we get to eat and make more music and this is the way it works. And, uh, right. but somehow, yeah, somehow that I, I think a lot of people really miscalculated, um, the kind of thing you're talking about that, you know, when you go from, from looking at, uh, you know, I guess as an, at an artist or at a, at a musician for their work and you start to think about, like you said, the, the lawyers and the, the PR people and everything else that backs this kind of giant machine that it, and it does take all those things to make it all work. But when you're thinking about those things and not the music, um, then a lot of things go awry. Right. Right. And so, you know, I, I wonder, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I wonder if that has sort of passed. I mean, I, I just don't hear that the same sort of arguments uh, with the same frequency now that I heard say three years ago about it from the recording industry in particular. I think their strategy has changed. And, and I think uh, in, in a lot of areas, we've seen a a, a shift that doesn't necessarily deal as much in kind of the punitive damages. Uh, we have a lot of these legacy lawsuits that are still going on from three years ago, 
that you hear about occasionally where somebody is charged with, you know, $18,000 per in, per track that they right. downloaded, that kind of a thing, which is just this level of kind of ridiculousness that, and, and the argument ends up being that, you know, would you ever, you know, if, uh, if, if somebody steals a physical CD out of a record store, a physical CD out of a music store and tries to get out and is caught, would they be charged $18,000 times the number of tracks on that CD, um, you know, in, uh, for damages? And no, they would not. They would, they would not do that. Um, so it ends up being magnified by the amount of sharing that they end up doing, um, you know, with that digital file. Are they sharing it with, you know, the rest of the world after they steal it or are they just kind of listening to it? And there's no way to really tell, I don't think. I mean, I, in, in a way that's any, that, that's really reliable. And so it ends up being this, this just big mess. And so uh, some of the new kind of, the new response ends up being, I think, kind of uh, more rational which is if you're caught, you, they're going to take your, you know, they're going to start limiting your use of internet. You'll get this sort of, um, um, oh, that's a, it's really a dumb idea all around anyway. <laughs> well, it, it's there, there clearly just, is just more a, warnings. Uh, it's just increasing the awareness and more warnings. I don't like Europe has gone hogwash. France has gone, has become a complete mess. You know, with this three strikes, you're out, you know, you end up doing any sort of copyright infringement. Then they say, you know, you, uh, uh, you know what's going to happen is you if you get caught then you're taken offline you don't ha you are not allowed to use the internet at all um you know for some period of time and that's a terrible idea because you know the internet has become a utility it's like are you going to tell somebody that they can't flush the toilet for a year or you know have electricity or light for a year if they do something uh, you know illegal with their electricity i i don't i i just is it it's a terrible idea all the way around but what i'm hearing is that there the RAIA is is you know trying to address this from a, a more rational or trying to find a more rational technical approach i think what i was going to say earlier is that you know when this first started happening it was very clear by their response that they didn't understand what's going on now they do understand what's going on they still don't have a, a really sound way to address it uh, and, and what no one ever did, I think, apart from the indie artists, but no one ever did early on from the industry perspective is, is try to use a more positive PR approach that says, we're going to increase the value of the music and we're going to make it available because we know that there is, you know, and, and, and we see evidence that when the music is out there and when fans have access to it, uh, you know, they end up spending more money on merchandise. They end up spending more money at concerts. They, the overall ecosystem thrives. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a matter of just kind of changing the model. Yeah. And the model was in, in need of inevitable change, I guess, that, that the industry was very resistant to. Right. And, and the bottom line from way back has always been, um, you know, convenience and accessibility and treating customers like you know thoughtful people who can make decisions for themselves I, I remember at the at the time that this whole i mean i keep referring to napster but it really was kind of a watershed um moment uh and it was during or shortly after that um little era uh there were several states who got big payments from um i, I don't believe I don't believe any um, labels were necessarily implicated, but but it was a very key sort of middle person distribution agent that had been charged with collusion and um, pricing CDs at the retail level. So the fact that um, at the time, many CDs were priced at around $17, and this was regardless of their quality or how soon they'd come out or whatever, and this was back when there it was far more common to see like a Sam Goodies or a can we even remember the name of record stores? Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Like I, I'm thinking of Sam Goodies, but you know, yeah. back when there were record stores all over and they mainly sold CDs. Um, anyway, they proved the case, and I remember Utah got millions of dollars at the time, and all of that money was directed to the libraries, and the libraries bought CDs with that money. Um, but it was millions of dollars and it was a price fixing scheme and um and it and it just was this 
to me, it was this very, it, it was the timing was very interesting because people were saying, all of a sudden people were mass downloading and record industries were saying, well, it's because, you know, people are criminals and, you know, something's wrong with society. But consumers were by and large saying, um, you know, we just really want the access and we want it convenient. And one of the arguments, you know, that comes up is the quality of, of recording. And wouldn't people pay more for higher quality? And this is comparing things like vinyl, tape, and, you know, sort of the, the media that had been available up to that point. You know, why would people want 128 MP3? Well, convenience and portability tends to win out. And the industry was very, very slow to really respond to that because it, you know, it harmed a business model that had a predictable profitability. And these are publicly traded companies and they just didn't really know what to do. You know, in terms of taking that positive approach, I mean, what what were they really going to do? Um, and still, what are they going to do? Uh, you know, I mean, do they get more involved in in tours and promotion? And you know, for the most part, historically, record labels didn't make any money on, and and still don't make money on most uh, like tours and concerts and, and live events. Um. I, that seems inevitable to me that that becomes more a part of their revenue. Well, to that point, and back to this, to this, um, to Ariely's book, um, I, here's another passage that I think is interesting. Ariely describes an interesting conflict of interest experiment that had subjects evaluate art. So let's let's assume for a second that art is uh, uh, that we can transpose art for music or you know some other. Um, you know, con similar consumable. Uh, each item is marked by the name of a gallery, one of which is identified as a financial sponsor of the subject's participation. Several findings were significant. Number one, the subjects experienced a preference for art from their sponsor gallery. This preference was observed not just in their overt choices, but also by using fMRI to measure activity in the area of the brain associated with pleasure. And the more people were paid by their sponsor, the greater their preference. Of course, neuromarketing readers won't be surprised to find that the subjects denied their opinions were influenced in any way by who paid for their participation. This work shows that your doctor, your financial advisor, your auto mechanic, and others may be recommending unnecessary services and products that benefit them, but may, may not be consciously aware that their opinions have been biased. So again, uh, not terribly surprising, but nice to see uh, continued support uh, for this area of research. I don't. It doesn't necessarily surprise me to know that that payola does exist, whether we know it or not. Um, <laughs> the end. It does. I know <laughs> that that the, the the world. I think, the world of radio stations and and uh, that that. Do you ever, do you feel like some, like when you used to buy like radio time, you dealt, dealt with the stations and there's that whole sort of, you get the back end gifts and concerts and, yeah. you know, like there's just this whole world that I think is a step back in time. And that's another world that I, you just wonder how, how they, how they're hanging on, um, the, the payola universe of, of radio. Well, yeah, I mean, it, there's the the other piece of it though is like uh, applies directly to to brand allegiance, and you see so many more. I mean, a lot of what's changing in in advertising, you're seeing more and more kind of, um, and I think this is fostered in, in large part by the change the, in the advertising model that comes with online media. Uh, when you when you see more and more um, sort of broadcasters moving to this kind of Howard Stern model, where the where the you know they're uh, the sponsorship is handled through live reads and we used to do a lot of live reads too. Right. Um, uh, and, and pay for live reads. And, and the idea is that, you know, the, the talent, the radio talent, the broadcast talent, uh, who has the direct allegiance of the listener, right. Uh, actually is reading the spot saying, you know, yeah, I really, this, this one really stuck out to me. I'm a big Instapaper fan. I love Instapaper. You know, Instapaper. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so I love it. I live on Instapaper on my iPad. It's a fantastic service where it allows you to take articles that you want to read um, and, you know, click a little bookmarklet that you save to your Instapaper account. And that article has is stripped of all the formatting and it, it goes to your Instapaper account where you can read on your iPhone or your um, or your iPad or Android device later. And uh, and it's a service and it's, you, you know, I pay three bucks a month or three bucks every three months, like a buck a month. It's ridiculous to... to kind of support the service. And Marco Arment, the developer, um, just bought sponsorship on Stern, on Howard Stern. And so for like a week, Howard Stern was doing these live reads on his show for this, this you know, talk about plucky little upstart software developers for, for Instapaper. And so you hear Howard Stern, whose fans are arguably some of the most loyal uh, of, of any sort of radio broadcast, right? Uh, say, hey, uh, you know what I really like? Uh, I like Instapaper. Nah, yeah. Bring in the Barbies. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, and talk for for a, good. Uh, like forty five seconds about how great Instapaper is. That blew me away. And yet, well, you know, my parents were here a couple of weeks ago uh, visiting, and my dad has discovered the TuneIn Radio app for his iPhone, and he listens. Uh, he and my mom are both huge fans of like vintage radio programs. So he woke up one morning, was eating breakfast, and he's playing uh, one of the original Dragnet episodes. And um, wow! <laughs> and I was listening, and I think the guy that plays Jack Webb was the guy who also did him on TV. But throughout the program, there were these pauses for live reads. So the character who um, sort of steps out of character. This is so and so, you know, of Dragnet, and I love smoking cools, cools, <laughs> the great cigarette, and like then the whole program has sort of a single sponsor, and the and the characters, and I was just listening to that, thinking, man, that is effective. That I can't believe that we don't see more of that today with you know DVRs and skipping commercials, and um, and certainly we do see product tie-ins and product placement, and and there are other ways that that uh, advertisers have, have um, sort of evolved. But but that's something I'm just sort of waiting to come back at a bigger scale where a, an entire brand gets behind a program and and the characters, you know, uh, endorse the product. I mean, that is that was really effective advertising. Well, that's uh, okay. Two points. So the first one is back to the to the stern point and to your smoking cool point. That's that's where I I think about this this idea of sponsorship and allegiance comes in. Uh, you know, and and you put somebody in fMRI and you say, you know, how do you feel about Instapaper, uh, and and whether or not they are a stern fan should you know determine uh, the extent to which their pleasure centers are lighting up. Right. right, like their allegiance right. to Instapaper will largely be affected by, you know, their allegiance to Stern, or there is a correlation there. Maybe not a, a causal effect, but certainly a correlational effect. And I think that's fascinating. And I think that's why, you know, that's where the the power of live reads really comes in. You know, it's if I, you know, if I start smoking cools, um, you know, there may be an unintended connection, at least one that I am not aware of, between my love of cools and my love of Dragnet. I was going to say, I, I would say there's probably a connection between your love of cools and your shaved head. Well, there's a, that's certainly not unintended. Uh, I think you should probably start wearing white t-shirts and, and vintage rolling them uh, up Levi's in my sleeves. with that yeah. shaved head and God, smoke that's cools. Totally it. That's totally it. That's going to be my new look. That's going to be cool. So, uh, no so I think that's really interesting. And I think, I mean, you think about that yourself. I do that myself. There are certain podcasts I listen to. And the sponsors, the repeat sponsors, if I look around my office, I, I find myself, you know, using the products that I've heard, you know, time and time again, uh, you know. Well, I th and I think the, the, the appropriate idea here is that you line up the product with the celebrity, with the show or whatever in, in a way that, so I'm not, um, you know, I wouldn't want, uh, well, this is a hard one, I guess, my example, because as you were pointing out the instapaper howard stern alliance maybe seem maybe seems like the audience isn't quite right for the product necessarily but you know he's won over some people um but i think you know where it's has the the biggest impact is is if you really can kind of line up like who do you think the audience is 
and what product are they likely to tend towards? And if you can get that lined up, you're going to have more success. Yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's true. I, you do know, you find you yourself should... when you're watching Mad Men? I mean, you're you're more likely to watch the commercials that run during Mad Men than you are for another show. I think uh, the commercials during Mad Men, by and large, are are the good ones. I still, I, I can't really respond because I still don't watch Mad Men. Oh, that's weird. I, I know really? I need to, but it, you know, maybe I'll get into it. Maybe I'll I'll jump it on Netflix while I'm while I'm on my. Uh, Oh, yeah. oh my gosh! You don't watch Mad Men? Not at all. Wow. I tried. We've talked about this. I tried. I watched the first three episodes. I I didn't like it. But everybody says, "Oh no, you got to get through the fourth episode." Oh great! All right. <laughs> you know, I still have never seen season one. In fact, so oh. I started in. I think. In fact, I think I started in on season three, maybe, and then went back to two, if I if I remember correctly. But boy, I hang on every episode. I'm still, you know, I haven't finished. I'm two episodes uh, from finishing. Um, well, <laughs> Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to take my word for it. The commercials, the advertising is actually really good, and 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 I. So the assumption I'm making here is that, uh, and I think I'm correct that, the, the advertising community loves Mad Men, and uh, and I don't know what their true demographic is, but um, I think there's some. There's, I think AMC has you know quite a, a money making machine there, and they have been able to sell like great ad space. It, it's you know really some of the best advertising um, runs during Mad Men shows. I'm telling you, you have to tune in. I will. I will tune in. Or at least, uh, I mean, at least for the commercials. Well, and that's that's it. why I, I mean, watch the Super Bowl. That's the that's the trick. We don't see. We don't. Uh, let's see. Is AMC? See, we don't. We don't have any cable. We 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 have no cable. So we have no AMC. We have no nothing. Like you are almost off the grid. I think that'd be a stretch to make. That case. <laughs> you know who does live off the grid? Hmm. The one of the characters from Mad Men. Um, apparently, I just fun fact I read this week that he. Uh, doesn't even have a working toilet at the moment. That's a that's trouble. A character or an actor? Isn't that strange? Are you which is it? The actor? The actor. Like the real uh, life, no, not, the real life. I mean, actor? not the character in the in the story, but yeah, yeah, one of the actors that one of the account executives that um uh for the for the uh the firm yeah. um in real life apparently lives off the grid. Hmm. That's so. I mean, that's probably, I'm sure that's a PR spin on, <laughs> he's go, he's undergoing a, a renovation at his home and doesn't have certain amenities. Yeah, at his $5 million mansion in the, the Palisades, and he's <laughs> he doesn't have a toilet right yeah. now, today. Temporarily but but when it comes back, it will be plated in work. gold. Um, so uh, I would just add to that, uh, to the Howard Stern thing, if you go back and listen to episode 80, of build and analyze at five by five dot TV. Um, you know, you hear Marco and Dan Benjamin talk about uh, his experience on on Howard Stern and and um, uh, you know what that was like. And 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 he talks at, at great length about um, you know the process of deciding because you brought up a really good point. Is is that the right audience? And uh, you know, for a software product like Instapaper, and he he put a lot of thought into you know, that very question and talks at length about it. And it's really fascinating on, um, um, you know, to think about why he makes that brand connection with Howard Stern and why it ends up that it made a lot of sense. Um, and that's really cool. That that's honestly, that's where I think advertising still has some magic is when you, you, when you have to make gut level decisions like that, because, yeah. you know, I, I think it's great that that marketing and advertising is so data driven and, you know, there's, there are a lot of great ways to, uh, you know, to target, um, that, that there weren't before and, you know, online advertising and that sort of thing. But at the same time you do, I, I think, you know, it, to me, it's sort of a beautiful art when you have to, you know, when you can't predict everything and, and, you know, is that the, the right decision to make for all parties? Because of course, Howard Stern has to make the decision as well. He's certainly happy to be paid and, and you would think would take on, you know, anyone with, with money, but, but he can't really. I mean, there mm -hmm. are products that if you are putting your name behind it and, and doing live reads and that kind of thing, you, you know, you have to be, everyone has to be on board. Um, and you don't always know how that's going to play out. Absolutely. I think that, I mean, I, to me, that's what 
you know, that's one of the areas of, of uh, marketing and advertising that, that, I mean, magic maybe isn't quite the right term, but, but I just think that's, that's, that's just a fascinating thing. You know, you run that through and think, okay, how's this really going to work? Cause you know, you're going to kind of bet the farm on it. Right. Right. I mean, something like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's uh, kind of every marketing dollar more or less, I would think for a company like Instapaper. Yeah. You know, I, I actually, I, I don't, I mean, it's a company he's, he's very focused, you know, and, 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 you know, you hear him talk about the decision to go cross platform, which was, you know, he never wanted, he's an iOS developer and he never wanted to go Android and came up uh, and, and the, you know, it ended up that an enterprising Android developer said, all right, you know, we'll, we'll take a risk. We'll, we'll kind of share the load. We'll do all the development and support and you won't have to do the work and you license the, you know, space and the underlying technology to us and we'll see how it goes. And now as a result, Instapaper's on Android, but it's, he, he is a very considerate sort of conscientious person. And, and that build and analyze shows when I can't recognize or recommend highly enough. Um, if you are, a, you know, if you're technically minded and like to hear sort of the behind the scenes of, of the decisions that go on in development, it's a, it's a That's fascinating very interesting. show. Yeah. So I, you're you're off to Chikawitapwa. I'm off to Chikawitapwa, and uh, so we're leaving on uh, we're leaving uh, later this week, and so we'll be. I, you know, I'm I'm square to do the show, assuming I still have um, internet. So we'll we'll keep moving, and so we'll be back in. I'll be just doing the show from the lake next week. How cool! Well, I'm jealous. That's a cool trip. Yeah, it'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. You're you're. I mean, I, I, I it's probably. I mean, the, what that's been able to do to your gray matter and uh, and and your life wisdom to be able to go to that every year, it, it's immeasurable, I'm sure, if we were to sort of stand next to each other and we could see how smart, you know, and sort of measure that like you measure height. I, no, I, I think you're actually... You're so far ahead of me. There's no way I could catch up at this point. No, you, it's, it's really... this, what, 10 years now? Yeah, but it's really, it has nothing to do with gray matter. It is actually height. Going to this makes me a little bit taller than you. And that's what oh, I count yeah. on. You eat year. well. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm gluten free. That's true. That's probably yeah. That's I'd probably lose a little bit of this little belly I'm growing. I've been noticing a lot of pregnant women around lately. Is it, it's that time of year, right? You sent out that birth chart, that birthday chart. Yeah. Yeah. You posted that. Most I mean, popular August birthdays. was sort of huge, right? July, August, sort of jumps up a bit. Yeah. I think I don't know. I don't actually. Uh, I don't actually remember. I remember well, anyway, it being I feel interesting. Pregnant. That's my point. I, I, I remember gluten free. <laughs> feel pregnant. <laughs> I'm sure I, mothers everywhere I'm, I'm disagree. Get a yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been good, Dane. It's good to hear your uh, dulcet tones again. I'm, I think we're done. Are you done? Yeah, there goes the bell. All right. Done. Done.